When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. This is Jack from the Horrible Movie Podcast. Each week, producer Phil, a guest, and I watch a horrible theater-released movie. We record our conversation, and then we tear that movie to shreds. We keep it family-friendly, so gather the family around the old smartphone, laptop, or tablet and join in on the fun. Just like all the great Studio DNA podcasts, find the Horrible Movie Podcast at Spreaker.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and everywhere podcasts can be found. Remember, just because it's from Hollywood doesn't mean it isn't horrible. Sift Pop Podcast is recorded in front of a live internet audience. Live from a bunker in the heart of the Ozarks, a podcast that could often be rightfully accused of having adolescence, it's Sift Pop. Welcome to Sift Pop, streaming live on Spreaker every Saturday afternoon or available to download later in your podcast feed. Unless, of course, you're a patron. Patrons get perks! Patrons get those perks! Check, check! I'm Aaron Dice. Did you say Jack Jack? Jack Jack. <laughs> Nicely done. I'm Aaron Dicer from yourmoviefriend.com. He is Andrew Ormsby from Flick Freaks. Ahoy. And each week we'll chat about movies, television, and whatever else from the pop culture universe is on our minds. And on the line with us this week, our guest guru, specially to talk Pixar, the author of the Pixar Theory, it's John Negroni! Woo! Hey, hey, what up, what up? Welcome, John. Oh, there's the applause. It was a little bit late. Yeah, there was a delay. A little delay on the applause. Oh, that's about. (laughs) Dude, it's so exciting to have you on. Um, If if people haven't somehow haven't heard of the Pixar theory and kind of your bona fides in the Pixar universe, as we're going to talk about Incredibles too, why don't you kind of lay out, uh, you know, who you are, what you do, all that kind of stuff, where people can find you, all that. For sure. Uh, Yeah. So you know what? It's what is it? June. So. In about a month, almost exactly like 30 days, it will be the five-year anniversary of the original Pixar Theory, which is a blog post I wrote in 2013 that, for some random reason, went viral. It was this uh, write-up about how all the Pixar movies are connected. Um, I wrote it at the fresh age of 22, I want to say. Nice. And, uh, yeah, it just completely catapulted me into a uh, you know this world of loving movies, talking about Pixar, covering Pixar for websites. Um, at the moment, people can find me. I co-host a podcast called Cinemaholics, uh, which is a weekly movie review show uh, where we, uh, we kind of we do it for, for people who like, aren't mindless fans, but they're also not really like elitist critics or anything. We, we just make a show about movies that we try to review as many movies as possible for people who just watch movies all the time and, and want to hear 
uh, as much as they can about uh, new releases, everything from the big movie on the big screen this week to uh, maybe an, an indie that uh, is starting to stream on Netflix or whatever, what have you. Uh, that is Cinemaholics, and uh, people can find my work all over the internet. Uh, Young Folks, Roland Magazine, uh, Slate, Mashable, Vulture. Um, you'll, you'll find me somewhere. Uh, Negroni is spelled N-E-G-R-O-N-I, in case somebody wants yeah. to do a search uh, for his stuff. Like the cocktail. It's very worth it. We are privileged to have you on. I like how you said that you wanted to say five years ago you were 22. I would also like to say five years ago I, am, I was 22. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> I, I would love to say that. Uh, yeah. That's what I want to say as well. Uh, you it, can say it. You can't <laughs> say it accurately. Yeah. Uh, I'm really excited to talk Incredibles and get into this movie, kind of what we thought. Um, of course, we'll have some buried treasure at the end as well. We've got a fun uh, Sift Quest uh, about the personality types that I'm really excited to get into a little bit later. We're going to talk best ever Holly Hunter movies in this episode. Uh, but before we get to any of that, Andrew, take us away. Every single week, I scour the internet to find out what is going on in the entertainment world. I pick three topics for us to discuss. We must decide whether or not we care about them or not. Number one, Apple is finally getting into the film game. First on their production list is going to be an animated feature. What do you guys think about the technology tycoons getting into the film industry? Uh, mm. I'll let you go first, John. Well, I, I have to abdicate, abdicate from this discussion because I actually am an employee of Apple um, in <laughs> Cupertino. So I cannot uh, say anything uh, whatsoever. Wow. But I'm curious to hear what you guys have to say. I didn't know you were an employee of Apple. Oh, I keep it on the down low. It's it's my day job. Uh, okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, well, that's really interesting that, yeah. you, that we're talking about this. Uh, in some ways, my instinct is to say I don't really care. I've kind of had enough of different companies getting into producing stuff. I feel like we're going to find ourselves uh, even more scattered in our entertainment what we, what we have to pay for. And I really wish we were condensing more. I You know, I want... I don't necessarily need the same everything to be owned by the same company. What I want is somebody who can aggregate it into one place, and I can pay him fifty bucks a month and just have access to everything. Are um, you talking like pay fifty bucks? You have Netflix, you have Hulu, you right? Have yeah, HBO. exactly. Yeah, that kind of thing. Um, which I think is is where the future has to go eventually. Yeah. But um, it doesn't it doesn't excite me. I'm not I'm not an Apple fan to begin with, so you know I'm not kind of in that universe uh, and. And aside from that, I'm just kind of a wait and see guy anyway. So you judge the film based on what they do with it, you know, what the the merits are. If they make a great movie, then I'm for it. If they make a bad movie, then well, that was a waste of time. That's where I'm at too. <laughs> you know, it's if they're going as far as you know, actually producing movies that go to the theaters, and they're just another production company. Yeah, more power to them. Now, if they're going the route of like a Netflix or a Hulu, you know, where they're going to have Apple Originals, you know and then you have to pay a premium for their monthly service, that is where I'm going to be going a little hesitant because yeah. I don't want to add another streaming service to my already insurmountable amount of streaming services yeah, I already that's what, have. Yeah, that's kind of what I was talking about. You know, we, we were coming through a season of cord cutting, you know, uh, the last you know decade or whatever. People More and more people are, are cutting away from satellite and cable, and yeah. the kind of... Uh, quote unquote buffet model where you're paying for stuff you don't even eat, you know, just so you can get a few things that you like. 
uh, in going to the a la, uh, a la carte model. And now the a la carte model is starting to feel like the buffet model again. It like really the, is. So it's, yeah, it's just, um, I don't know, it's an interesting time to kind of try to figure all this stuff out. But, but yeah, I'm, I'll wait and see. That's kind of right. my opinion. How'd you feel about all that, John? You all right? You okay? Yay, well, nay, you, you know what I can say? It is, it's all very interesting. <laughs> all very interesting. That's a very, very uh, lawyer answer right there. <laughs> yeah. I hope, though, the next one isn't going to be like, oh, yeah, sorry, guys. I also uh, work for Universal. And work <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. uh, can't talk about any of this. I think you'll, so, be, I think you'll be safe on this one. <laughs> Pinar Toprock will be composing the score for the upcoming Captain Marvel film. She will oh, be yes. the first female composer to score a superhero film ever. Now, I didn't know who she was, and I went on YouTube and I listened to a song she did called Echoes of Battle. Holy cow, I am so excited for the score for this movie. Yeah. Based solely off of the one 5,000 view video I've seen her. <laughs> 5,000 view video, 404 subscribers on YouTube, and she's scoring a Captain Marvel film. Well, to be to be fair, YouTube isn't necessarily the go-to outlet for, you know, movie score people. Still, you know what I mean? Like, uh, well, I don't know about all that because yeah. a lot of people love to watch the orchestral yeah. like things. They they don't just like to listen. I like to look at behind the scenes featurettes where maybe John Williams will have like a big thing. I watched the for Incredibles too. Uh, Brad Bird had a featurette where with uh, Michael Giacchino and it was amazing. And if you love like film composition, like you should look those up. Like especially the one for Incredibles 2 is amazing. Oh, totally. I totally get that. My my comment is more that it's not it, that probably wasn't hosted on Brad Bird's YouTube channel. You know what I'm saying? Like No, it, it, it was on of, her. Disney, yeah. That's what I'm saying. So like you know, as far as having a personal YouTube channel that you keep up that kind of stuff, they usually count on, you know, the the bigger um, the bigger animal to be able to do those kind of things. So now that she has that, those big companies will be releasing those kind of videos, yeah. that kind of stuff. So yeah, but definitely go and check her out again. Her name is Pinar Toprock. That's so cool. Yeah, I'm. I care so much about this because when I first read this story, I had a kind of a moment because I'd heard of her because she had done the one for Krypton, obviously, and uh, I think she contributed to Justice League and. I, I was thinking to myself, I was like, when was the last time, like, I, I can't think of any, like, feature-length film that has a female composer. And if there are any female composers doing work for film, I can't think of any right now. But I'm really hoping that Toprak can actually be somebody who starts to get on, you know, who starts to get on people's radars and starts to actually, like, you know, break that glass ceiling, if you will, so that other female composers can get out there and actually get hired. Yeah, and I think that a superhero film is like the best place, you know, to launch mm -hmm. off something exciting like that. So, she yeah, has an Instagram too. Should check it out. The uh, the idea of representation is so important. Uh, the idea of being able to see people like you doing different things, and you know, understanding that these are options for you. Um, yeah, I'm I'm very excited uh, that we're doing more and more of this purposefully, you know, and that this kind of talent is being found and, and put towards the top. So yeah, no, I'm excited. Definitely excited to hear it and excited to see that movie, by the way. Oh yeah. Um, man, mm -hmm. Brie Larson and I'm, I'm ready. Yeah. I need Brie Larson I, in the nineties. I need, I need like, I need like my female version of captain America. That's what I need. Like, you know, just kind of that truth justice, you know, kind of thing. 
in the Marvel universe. I was going to say that's kind of Supermanish, but <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. going to say <laughs> she does feel like Captain Marvel a character. It does feel like the Marvel Superman. And yeah, that's exactly. why I'm excited. Because yeah, exactly. If DC couldn't crack the code a hundred percent, then maybe I don't know. Yeah, Andrew Larson. It could be fun. Number three. Yeah, bring it on. Ewan McGregor will be starring as Danny Torrance in the upcoming sequel to The Shining, based off of the book Doctor Sleep. One of the few Stephen King books I have not read, but it is in my queue. Um, I don't necessarily not care. I'm just not educated on a lot of this. I figure, Andrew, you—I mean, you're the Stephen King fan, so you would yeah. you would probably know a lot about this. John, kind of, what's your familiar uh, familiarity with this? I haven't read Doctor Sleep. Um, the one person who I do know who has read the book, and he's like the biggest Stephen King fan I know, way bigger fan than me. I personally. I'm sorry, I'm not a big Stephen King fan. I hate most Stephen King things, with the exception <laughs> of like Shawshank Redemption. And, the look on Andrew's um, face right now. I'm very sorry. It, it's Everybody sort of has title to their own opinion. I, everyone has their own opinions. It, it, they have just never connected with me for whatever reason. Mm. So I'm not very excited about this. But the person I know who does love, love, like Shining is his favorite movie. He hates this book. Dr. Sleep. But he's very interested in Ewan McGregor because Ewan McGregor is one of our best actors. So, Yeah. Um, actually, uh, Stephen King himself hates the Shining movie because it's so different from, oh, his, from book. his book. Oh, from his book, yeah. yeah it's right, his... and I don't think we know if this is going to be more similar to the movie or the actual book, Dr. Sleep. And that's kind of what I wanted to discuss is for the people yeah. who aren't familiar, the book is pretty different than uh, the actual movie. And I, I didn't know if Dr. Sleep was going to be a sequel to Kubrick's uh, Shining or if it was going to be a sequel to uh, Stephen King's Shining. And if you think about it, you know, Stephen King's kind of uh, once again a hot commodity. Even though The Dark Tower didn't make a lot of money last year, you look at what it brought in mm-hmm. and from a critical acclaim as well as, you know, box office and made a bunch of money. I think that Stephen King's, you know, on a got a second wind sort of in the uh, film industry, because if I think if you look at his uh, his filmography, not only you know just his books, but you know a lot of some of personally my favorite movies and what I consider to be some of the best movies ever are adapted from Stephen King. You have like The Shining, even though it's different, but you have Misery, Green Mile, Shawshank, um, even it. You know, I think that it is time again for Stephen King to conquer the film world, in my opinion, <laughs> with his great sense of horror. You may be a fan. You may be speaking as a fan. Yeah, I'm not going to deny he, that. As someone who's not a fan, I'm all for these movies connecting with me for the first time. Um, I, I can respect like that people love these movies for a reason, or love these stories, I should say. Um, so I, I'm super open to it. I, did you guys see uh, Gerald's Game, the Netflix one? No, I didn't get a chance to check it out. Not yet. This is the same. Um, okay, so the guy who directed that, I think, is directing this new one, I want to say. Oh. Um, Mike Flanagan? Is that his name? Sounds right. But I, I think I think that that's what he's doing. So I guess that's all to say, like, he really adapted that novella which makes me think that Dr. Sleep is going to be very true to The Shining, the, the actual written version. But when I was reading the synopsis of this, my, the takeaway that I got was that there, it, it does sound like it has a, like a very direct tie to the movie because I do think that's like in people's consciousness and I don't, want, I don't think they're going to try to ignore that 
Um, but they might try to have like a weird, it's like both almost and be very vague about the events of the shining, because this is a long time after the events of the shining. This is about, um, this is about Danny, like way after yeah, you know, grown up. dealing with the trauma. Yeah. It might be very vague and ambiguous. Um, especially if it's an artful kind of movie. Yeah. When and you... I'm surprised that you're not a fan of Stephen King. If you like, you know, uh, connected universes, kind of like Pixar, because <laughs> all Stephen King is, uh, connected to. The ki- the ki- Stephen Kingdom, yes, yeah. Uh, yeah I, I I have taste when it comes to my cinematic universe. <laughs> oh, shots fired! Shots fired! Shade, <laughs> throwing shade. Uh, s- I do think I do think that stuff is really interesting. To be totally honest, yeah. Uh, you said I'm just joking. You said Gerald's game, and immediately because we're talking in uh, Pixar, I thought Jerry's game. Uh, and <laughs> that's right. And uh, and since we're wrapped up with do we care right that's gonna wrap it up okay jerry's game got me thinking of pixar shorts and why don't we just take a second before we get into the review to talk about uh the dumpling short yeah yeah what'd you guys think mm. of the, the latest pixar short i really did not like it you didn't it didn't connect with not you? at all what do you think john um i've seen it twice now and i adore this short i was on the fence the first time i saw it i was very like what am i seeing here now I think it's probably not just one of the best Pixar short films, but a sign that Pixar might be in for like a creative evolution because I think this thing really goes for it and, and lands it. I, I agree with John. Uh, I really liked it. I've only seen it once. Um, it reminded me in many ways of Coco uh, in that it, it felt very uh, much in a in a – culture and and it's not a culture that i'm familiar with but i enjoyed being there and i enjoyed kind of feeling it um i enjoyed the the metaphor of it i thought it was beautiful um so yeah i i really i really liked it is there anything that stuck out to you that makes you think you know that puts you on the negative andrew well um I know it's obviously all metaphorical and it's, you know, revealed that. But it was that moment, wasn't it? Where she ate. Yeah. (laughs) And you're like, what is going on? Like, you know. But it's so perfect, though. And it's so emotional. Like, it's it's weird and emotional. And I don't know. I I love it it when it puts you in her headspace. Yeah. That's how she's feeling. Yeah. She's the one who feels like weird and depressed. (laughs) And so do we. Yeah. I don't want to come off as somebody who didn't get it. Right. I got it. It's just I didn't. (laughs) Like it. Yeah, it was a little too weird for you. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. Uh, I'm just not a fan of dumplings. It, I don't like dumplings. <laughs> I'll, it, I'll say it. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with the whole idea of, like, you know, a Chinese-Canadian short film. I was like, that, that to me was the most interesting aspect of it because, like, that is, like, a story and a, a very specific type of setting that is so unique to the person who made it. I'm a big fan of Domi Shi, the director. She's, she's actually going to be developing a new feature film with Pixar um, not just because I think because she really imp- she uh, pitched a bunch of ideas to them uh, to the brain trust, and she's only 28 years old, and she is she's worked on Inside Out, she's worked on uh, I think uh, Monsters University, Good Dinosaur, and Coco, and Incredibles too. I want to I'm probably wrong about one of those movies. She's worked on a bunch of Pixar movies since like 2011, and I just think that she she is like the Edna mode right now that they have at their disposal, somebody who thinks out of the box. That's very cool. What is your favorite uh, Pixar short? Oh, man. Um, I have a really soft spot for Lava. Um, oh, wow. That's at the bottom first, of my list. 
I'm interested to hear this. I love Lava because a I'm an, I I am an ukulele player. Uh, I love to play the ukulele. Um, I learned how to play the song Lava uh, by the director of that short film. He taught me all the chords, and I just have a very strong emotional connection to it because. Uh, just, just really like my background, and I, I love the idea of its passage of time. And for for whatever reason, that short just moves the heck out of me. Um, but I don't know about you guys. Aaron, I know that's your... a weird opinion. Uh, I love Jerry's game. I know I've already mentioned it, but the emotion of Jerry's game always gets me. Um, mm. So that's that's one of my favorites, and it has it just has such a a, a nice concept, and it's executed so well. Um, yeah, so Jerry's game would probably be off the top of my head, but I love so many of them. Yeah, like, there's so oh, yeah. many good ones. Yeah. Uh, I thought um, was it Lou the last one? I thought Lou was really good. I you know the that was one Lost that wasn't and quite as yeah up on. yeah. yeah. Uh, Sanjay's Super Team is always going to be my favorite. It's, oh man, yeah, it's so good. Yeah, good that stuff. animation style is just it, it reminds me of what we're going to get with that new Spider-Man movie. Yeah, which. Sup- I was surprised how good that looked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it looks really good. All right, you guys ready to get into the review? Let's make it happen, Captain. All right, let's talk Incredibles right. 2. It's time to make some wrong things right. Help me bring supers back into the sunlight. We need to change people's perceptions about superheroes, and Elastigirl is our best play. Better than me? <clears throat> Everyone's favorite family of superheroes is back in Incredibles 2, but this time, Helen is in the spotlight, leaving Bob at home with Violet and Dash to navigate the day-to-day heroics of quote-unquote normal life. Now, before we even start the review part of this whole thing, uh, since we're talking Pixar, I John, you have these like connections into Pixar that we don't have. And you had mentioned listening to our episode talking about how there's only one Pixar movie, you know, on the docket, Toy Story, Toy Story Four. Mm-hmm. You say you know that more is coming. Like, what inside information do you have? Okay, so I have to watch my words carefully here because I'm not allowed to divulge everything that I know yet. Okay, um, I can say some things that are pretty official, but they are still kind of buried and aren't being reported on heavily, probably because a lot of news outlets are waiting to get more confirmations before they put out, they don't want to put out uh, false information, right? Um, so I, I'm only telling you things that, are, you know, prepare for them to change because that's how it is at Pixar. They, they really like to keep things under wraps and uh, things change on the, on the fly. You know, uh, how many movies can you think of that uh, Pixar has put into production even and has decided, you know what, it's not going to work. Let's right. take that. Yeah. As for what's coming... Uh, first I will say the main reason I think we don't know a lot of details on these films yet is because I I think that Pixar is a little bit more wary than usual about their ideas being, I don't want to say stolen, but like replicated by other studios. This keeps happening. It it happened with A Bug's Life and Ants. It happened with Rio and Newt. And to an extent, I mean, Coco and Book of Life were two movies that even though I consider very, very different, a lot of people, they just, they put two and two together, you know, like, Mm -hmm. it's like that knee jerk, like, oh, this is just Book of Life. And because Book of Life came out a lot faster than Coco, because these movies take so long to make, I think Pixar is kind of trying to be a little bit more like, let's surprise people. And I think that that goes into why they, they lately have been like, here are all these sequels coming out, because they don't have to worry about that with the sequels. Uh, as for what is coming next, uh, we do actually know quite a bit about the next original Pixar films coming out in 2020. Uh, it doesn't have an official release date. 
a lot of people are speculating it's either going to be like maybe March uh, or it could, it, you know, like the Disney spring uh, time release when we get movies like Zootopia, Wrinkle in Time. Uh, so it might be in that area. It might be a summer movie. But this is going to be a suburban fantasy where there are no humans. It's a world like modern day where the only people who inhabit this world are fairy tale creatures. Uh, we're talking about elves, I think, are the main characters. Uh, golems, trolls, sprites. I think they said at one point unicorns are going to be like rodents. They just kind of, you know, it's it's that kind of like flip of like what a fairy tale, you know, subversion could be. And it's actually being directed by Dan Scanlon, who is, he worked on Monsters University. Uh, he's worked on a bunch of Pixar films and this is going to be the first one he's directing. And he, he has said that this movie is going to be very, uh, it's going to be about two brothers, I believe, who their father dies and then they kind of navigate what happens next. So that sounds very uplifting and, uh, not uh, tear-inducing at all. That's very Pixar <laughs> slash Disney. Of well, them. what's in, what's interesting is right. it it um it feels like the uh, the David Ayer's Will Smith Netflix movie um, Bright a little and, bit and, yes. like the, the idea of you know fairy tales existing in kind of a modern you know uh, life, but that was more of an urban life than a suburban life. So yeah, yeah, and it was like a coexisting you know, and it was yeah. also yeah like L.A. This is going to be. I think like a cold sack or something. Oh, like interesting! That. There are all kinds of concepts that they're throwing. Out, Very right? cool. I'm so excited. Um, yeah, it, it does sound really cool. There's like, I don't think I think part of the the charm of it is that there isn't like there used to be magic in this world and now there isn't. So they're trying to parallel that with like the, we had a father, but now he's not here. And then they use like the magical remains left in the world to sort of it's like a quest, uh, not a sift quest, but a quest. <laughs> and um, yeah, it hasn't started production yet. I think it starts production uh, at the end of this year. And uh, there's going to be another film. Uh, Brian Fee is going to be directing a film. Um, there's going to be a new film from Mark Andrews and uh, Pete Docter. And then Domi Shi, who I mentioned earlier, she has an original idea. We don't know anything about it. But if, it, if it's anything like that, uh, it might be uh, something that's very personal to her, uh, which could be very interesting. And honestly... We know little bits and pieces of those movies, but they're all rumors and they haven't been confirmed, so we can't really say anything yet. But that's that's three movies coming um, and a possible fourth that would be coming beyond, I think, 2022. Very but, exciting. Uh, we sh- we're supposed to be getting... They have uh, untitled films, like five untitled films on their docket. Uh, <laughs> the, there's only three that have like directors attached to them or people attached to them in general. Um, so well, yeah, it's, those, it's, those will all be coming in 2020, 2021 and 2022. It's, it's interesting too, in that that is a run of three original films too. And yeah. to have toy story four happen and then be without sequels for a while, I think is a great way for Pixar to continue to reinvigorate and evolve their artistic ability to create new stuff. And I think Pixar fans are really excited. Uh, will be really excited to see a bunch of original Pixar's come out in a row. That'll be fun. Absolutely. And I, I think that the thing that people forget, uh, I fall into this trap sometimes, uh, why, is, why is Pixar doing sequels? A lot of people blame Disney and say, well, Disney bought Pixar in 2006 and, you know, or around that time. And they were like, you got to make all these sequels. But what people forget is that the reason that Disney was like, you got to make sequels is because they needed money. <laughs> and that, that really is what it comes down to. The sequels are a lot cheaper to make. And they have a tendency to make way more money. So they had, they did have a bit of a middle age period uh, of like Finding Dory, which really did great money for them. Uh, the merchandising of Cars 2 and Cars 3. And now Incredibles 2 is 
poised to make so much money. It's stupid. Um, it's but I think crazy. that they, they are sort of gearing up for a new age where they can do original stories that they want. And this is a good way to transition us back into uh, Incredibles 2 and get to this review because Incredibles 2 looks to make $170, $180 million this weekend. Uh, it looks like it will possibly, if not probably, be the most money-making animated movie of all time. Um, it would have to be uh, Beauty and the Beast uh, to do that, just over $500 million. Um, So, you know, this is... I'll be surprised if it beats Frozen, honestly. Really? Where do you think, yeah. it'll, where do you think it'll land? You know, I, I, I w- I've been thinking a lot about this. I am not convinced that it's going to beat Finding Dory domestically. I think Finding Dory is one of the highest-grossing domestic movies of all time. And I, th- I just don't know if it has quite that cross-cultural appeal. I think it's going to come pretty close. And I actually have it. I have my own like predictions for the summer. I think it's going to be the number two movie of the summer. I think it's going to be better than Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. And I don't think it's going to come near Avengers Infinity War personally. But I, I see this one making well over a billion. Yeah, and I and I actually was talking domestically. I apologize, um, but yeah, oh, sure. yeah. Finding Dory and then Beauty and the Beast are both right there at about five hundred million. I think, uh, I think it will beat those, um, maybe just barely. This is exciting to me because I have Incredibles two at my number two in our summer sum game. You do that. Yeah. That was one of my you know calls. It just felt like it just felt like it had been so long. And usually when there's a beloved sequel that comes out after so long, like finding Dory, it just does gangbuster mm-hmm. numbers. And it almost doesn't even have to be a great movie and add the fact that it's getting a lot of positive buzz, all that kind of stuff. I think, yeah, I think we'll see it continue to have good legs. So let's that 94% on Rotten Tomatoes is going to, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. going to get people to come see it. So let's talk about our thoughts. Did you like it? Love it? Dislike it? Hate it? It was just okay. What do you think, Andrew? It's crazy how much I love this movie. <laughs> like, it's crazy how good this movie is. All right, what about you, John? Uh, you know, I wish there was something between like and love. The- I, I think I am at love, but I don't want to say love in the sense like there are movies that I love that like I have a burning passion for. I don't have a burning passion for this movie, but I have such a deep deep respect for this movie and so many for so many reasons well we're going to be arguing variations of degree because i love this movie as well and usually what we say john is like a light love or a strong like or something like that um and yeah i'm i'm more in andrew's camp i this is the first a plus i've given in maybe over a year you didn't give infinity war a plus no i gave infinity war an a oh um, Wait, is this your number one movie of the year now? This is my number one movie of the year now. Wow, I it's my abso- number two. So. I, I absolutely loved this movie. Um, yeah. I had such a good time with it. There's many reasons for that. We've got lots of positives to go into. Uh, John, since you kind of had a little bit of uh, you know less of the shine than we did, why don't you talk about some of the stuff you loved? Some of the stuff I loved, and I, and I will say because I have my own um, 2018 movie power rankings that I keep updated, and for this film, my favorite film of the year is Eighth Grade. Um, that's the only, it's one of three movies I've given an A. Eighth Grade, you were never really here in Annihilation. Um, for this movie, I think I would place it uh, probably around number eleven or twelve of the year for me. Um, maybe even higher, maybe number nine or ten. Uh, this really is a wonderful movie. I, you know, I this is a movie that. Obviously, they had to give us something that made the 14 years feel worth it. I will say, did you guys get that opening thing from uh, 
from Brad Bird and Samuel Jackson coming on the screen yeah. and being like, we, we know you've been waiting. Now prepare to wait some more. We get it. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I get it. Can we get to the movie? Well, we, we wish we could have come out with this sooner. And I'm like, yeah, me too. Let's, let's continue, right? Anyway, this takes a long time to make. And then they start going over to people who are like animating. I was like, guys, guys, like, you don't have to apologize. You're making me angry bringing this up. <laughs> and they're like, okay, enough's enough. I'm like, yeah, you're right. We hope you like The Incredibles too. Okay, let's go. And then they show the short film, and I almost lost my mind. <laughs> yeah. But, when... uh, but yes, the hype, I think, was worth it. I, I liked this movie a lot more the second time. The first time I had some severe issues with it in terms of story. I was very really? underwhelmed with some mm. of the story beats here because I, I think there's a lot of really great payoff. I think Elastigirl has a really great, really great, like, presence of a story here with the villain and i think bob has like wow he's gonna learn this really big epic lesson i think though a lot of issues that are raised in this film are never fully resolved with him they just kind of end it and i i there were there were structural things where i was like that isn't the deep kind of cohesive complete film that the first one was where you really felt like everything like all the loose threads were tied up uh, for the most part um, except for them finding out about jack jack's powers in the first one Whereas this one, it kind of ended, and I was like, I wanted a little bit more. I, I felt like we didn't really reckon with Mr. Incredible's issues, <laughs> honestly. And I wasn't sure what Elastigirl learned throughout this movie. I think she and Dash were kind of static characters. They didn't really have learn any lessons. They didn't really have, like, story arcs. They just kind of, like, glided along the movie. But I guess for some viewers, that, that was fine because we did get a little bit of lessons from other characters. What I what I would argue, I think, in that case is that this is a movie that is interestingly about a character called the Parr family. Uh, and that the, the Incredibles movies are some ways unique in that the family itself is the protagonist, uh, at least as kind of I view it and as a kind of I see the overview. And of course, you can break out the individual people and kind of what they're going through. But as far as like story and resolution and those kind of things, uh, my mindset has always been that the family unit is interesting in this movie because it is kind of the driving factor. Um, so you're right. Dash doesn't really have any kind of character arc in this movie, except that he is part of what they are learning as a family and what they are going through as a family. And I'm excited to, in our spoiler chat, um, to kind of go into a little more detail on some of the story stuff and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, what did you love, Andrew? Well, I'm going to build off what you just said in the fact that you can't have every single character having a story arc because then the movie becomes too dense and muddled to where you can't really focus on any one particular thing because it's a lot trickier. It would least. jump from but this to that. But you did have it in the this. first movie to the point where even the villain had sort of like a an arc. It, it doesn't have to be like a heavy arc where like every character gets like a ton of time. But yeah, go. I think that the first movie and again, I could be wrong, is more just an introduction to each character as opposed to them having a story arc, you know? Like, I know mm. there's the part where Dash finds out he can run on water and stuff like that. I think well, and that it finishes culmin- with Dash's race, which is absolutely what he's learning. So, yeah, yeah no, I, I'm well, with John I, on this. But, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so things I love about this movie, I'll get into that then. Um, the whole Elastigirl, you know, finding, you know, getting out from under the Mr. Incredible shadow and proving to not only herself, but the world that superheroes and her in particular should be, you know, praised as opposed to shunned by, you know, their gifts, you know, and it's the whole metaphor between, you know, supers and, you know, 
being different and, you know, not hiding who you really are mm-hmm. is very prevalent in this movie. And it came across very powerful to me. And what did you guys think of that whole thing? Uh, I, I thought the themes were great. Um, again, I'm, I'm excited in spoilers to kind of talk more about them and, and some of the specific story parts that I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as overall things that I loved about this movie, I have to mention the action. Uh, I felt like uh, the action in this movie yeah. was even better than the first Incredibles. Easily. Um, I, I am blown away by how creative almost every single moment in every single action scene is. It made me wish that Brad Bird and his team... Did a Marvel movie? Did the Avengers. Like, there are some of those things in the... There are those moments in the Avengers. I remember the original Avengers when, you know, Iron Man shoots off Cap Shield and, you know, that kind of stuff. But there are just such creative thoughts of, but how could you really use this power you know um Mm -hmm. and i i want to i don't want to spoil some of those specifics until spoilers yeah but just to say the action in this movie is absolutely mind-blowing there is what i could call a chase scene in this movie yeah oh my goodness could potentially go down as one of the coolest action scenes i've ever seen yeah like i was watching and i'm like it was crazy while i was watching i'm like is this as good as i think it is because i i kept thinking like this is one of the best things I've ever seen. And then it's um and then I questioned I'm like, is it really one of the best things I've ever seen? And then something else would happen like, okay, yeah, this is one of the best <laughs> things I've ever seen. I was I blown. knew it was that good because when I saw it the second time, I was I was so excited to see that scene ramping yeah. up. Yeah. You know, no pun intended. Where I was like, I cannot <laughs> wait to see this again. I would actually say I was giving this a lot of thought. This might be some of the best action we've ever seen in an animated film yeah um, i think the only films that would rival it i would say 100 percent of computer animated films i think the only rivals that this film this movie would have in animated action would be anime um things composed by studio uh, ghibli basically yeah um another theme that i thought was very interesting in this one and it was possibly a little bit more subtle was the uh, the theme of uh screen addiction mm-hmm and that whole premise, I don't want to get in too much, obviously. I don't want to give away spoilers or anything, but that was a very interesting and unique way to put that into this movie, and it really kind of hit home for me because, you know, we kind of work in the technology business here, and the way that it hit me was like, wow. And it's very true. It's very true. You know what I'm talking yeah, about, Yeah, like it, it works on two levels, right? Because it's like an alternate version of the 60s. So you can still say like, well, yeah, like people are only watching on their television sets things. And like there are little moments throughout this movie where we see like Jack-Jack is obsessed with watching TV, right? Yeah. And uh, he like mimics what's happening on the TV. But it also works for our current day because obviously screens are such a big part of our day-to-day lives. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of the genius of what's going on there. I have to admit... Um, I, I only occasionally remember that we're in the 60s in these movies. Like, it's yeah. it's really, and it just feels so, and I don't mean this as a negative at all, but it just feels so contemporary and applicable to, you know, our own modern life that I almost forget that the setting is actually 50 years ago, you know? And that yeah. happens, too, because, like, there are all these gadgets that uh, Evelyn makes, where it's like, these, ca- these cameras, you know, like these right. cameras. Like, right, right. There's no way that would have existed in that time period, but it is sort of like a retro, cool, futuristic Tomorrowland kind of thing. Yeah, so it works. It's it's not quite steampunkish, but it's kind of Bioshockish, is what I would call it. <laughs> That's um, a good way to put it. Yeah. 
What else? What else do you guys want to talk about? Oh, Jack Jack is. He, I think he steals the movie. I really think he does. I, he is so funny. I the he, one scene in particular with him, I was crying. I was laughing. It was so like hard. A, it was like a Looney Tunes. It was thing. Yeah, exactly. It was some of the best slapstick I think Pixar has ever put together. Yeah, yeah. This this movie in the middle has basically a a a something that could be pulled out and just be another Pixar short. Yeah, uh, and and be brilliant, and yet it integrates completely and fully in the movie at large, and it's it's absolutely astonishing. I would go as far to say if they made a movie with those two characters, like a feature length movie, like <laughs> an, be- like an arch nemesis sort of thing, <laughs> I would be on board for that. I would be the first one in line because I was rolling. It was so funny. Yeah. Do you like it better than uh, the short film where he was with the babysitter? The short film. Have you seen? Yeah, the, I don't think I, I don't think I've seen the it's short film. Jack, with the babysitter. Jack, Jack Attack. Attack. Yeah. Uh, uh-uh, I haven't seen that one. Oh, you'd love Jack Jack Attack. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it, it fills in the blanks of like what Jack Jack was doing during the first movie, and we should say like I think they knew we wanted Jack Jack. <laughs> they knew they knew that they had to sort of lit up, live up to this character. Who, if you watch the first movie for the first time, we didn't we don't know Jack Jack has powers until the very end, and it's played as this big reveal, and it's really surprising. But as the audience, like I remember, I was like, I want to see more Jack Jack. What else can this kid do? And what I love about Incredibles too is that they actually carry that out in a way that lives up to that promise yeah. of like, oh, he has a lot of powers, like powers you wouldn't have even thought of that are just so amazing to watch. Uh, and it, it, what's great is that you have these Jack Jack moments, but they're, they're great. But in between, you have other moments where other characters with powers are doing things that are just as interesting. I think the Void character who can create like portals, they, yeah. they, they use that. Like her fight with uh, one of the, I won't spoil who she fights with, but she fights with one of the incredible characters. And like the combination of their powers together was like one of the coolest sequences. It wasn't very long too, but it was so satisfying. The introduction of the new supers was a kind of breath of fresh air, really. Not, I know that may sound like it's a negative, but it just was something that took it to the next level. I guess is a better way of saying it. It's cool, and yeah. it it kind of it's the thing I always love about the X Men in that you know when you're dealing with a universe where you can be super in different ways, like it's just the sky's the limit. You know, you can yeah. you can invent really cool ideas. I have uh, I've said this about Doctor Strange, and I completely agree with you about Void. I think portal powers are one of the coolest powers. I, I've ever seen on screen, mm-hmm. um, and we should know this from the Portal video games. I was going to say we need a Portal you know? movie. Like um, we we absolutely do because yeah. it is it is one of the coolest sci-fi concepts that hasn't been well, explored enough in my actually. There opinion. was a Portal short on YouTube. Yeah, Dan Track Dan, Dan Trachtenberg who did yeah. uh, twelve or ten Cloverfield Lane did mm-hmm. that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm, I I loved Void as well. The other thing I have to mention is uh, the score. This music is so good, and yeah. it had been so long since the first that I had forgotten how cool it is to hear that score on those speakers in that environment, and just how perfect it is. Um, I I really love the music in this too. Oh yeah, it's very brassy. On, on IMAX, it is just amazing. Yeah, yeah. Did you see it on IMAX? <coughs> I did Sorry. actually see it on, on IMAX. I yeah. guess I'm the only one that did not. Yeah. But I saw I was I, in the front row, so it felt like an IMAX. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I saw it in IMAX and Cinemark XD. Both were really great. But yeah, they, we, 
it reminds me almost of like an Edgar Wright movie, the way that they edit the sound into like you'll have a scene where uh, like somebody will get captured and like the jazzy like bam like happens. Yeah. And it syncs so perfectly. The timing is so right and it fits the mood. And it, it, it's a big reason why you can watch this. movie. I think this is going to be one of the most rewatchable Pixar films because it's just such a delight to go through it, uh, you know, over and over again, I, I think. Because it, it's down to the music, the look of it. The only thing where I think it suffers a bit is, you know, it's a, I, I think it has a very uh, eh third act thematically. But we, can talk, we don't have to talk about that yet. No, yeah, I think that's, yeah, a, let's really, go ahead. that's a really good segue yeah, to let's the go con- transition. Yeah, I'm going to let you speak on it more, but I totally agree about predictability in the third act kind of falling off of the what I would call the 10 out of 10 until then. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I just don't find it to be a very good climax. I think that the lead up to like the moment of the third act is really interesting. You you have, uh, there's something that happens with Violet, Jack, Jack and dash that is great. As soon as I saw that, that's where they were going with it. I was like, yes, but there's this weird thing where like you start the movie with these kids being told by their, their parents that they can't, um, they can't be supers, or they can't use their powers right. the way that they want to. And I, I guess I just, I, I don't think the climax is a really good reflection of the movie we saw before, because you know, in good storytelling, what you would have, you have all of this about like this connection between okay, these people are using their screens, and the masses are mediocre, and Elastigirl is on this mission, and Mister Incredible feels kind of emasculated. And you have all of these different subplots, and I just don't think they come together, right? Like, th- there's no moment at the end of this film. There's a moment where they try to do it, where Violet says something to another character, and the other character is just like, wow. And I was like, is that what this movie has been leading up to? Because when was I supposed to want that, I guess? And what they end up doing, you know, at the very end, I just don't think is very satisfying, and I just don't think it's... I, I don't know. Like it, it, it okay. feels like there should have been something else there. I think we're we're touching on two different things. Um, one of which I kind of agree with, and one of which I kind of don't. Uh, the one I kind of agree with is the predictability thing. Uh, I do feel like there is uh, an element to this story that you kind of know where it's going. Uh, yeah, there are mm-hmm. reveals that that didn't feel very revealing to me. I kind of figured that was what it was going to be. I don't necessarily usually hold that against the movie. In fact, I don't hold it against this movie because it can, it can still be good storytelling, even if you know it's coming. Um, it you just you don't get that jolt of oh, I didn't see that coming, which is fun. Which is fun. Don't get me wrong. Uh, so I agree. There is a little bit of predictability. I, however, uh, don't necessarily agree that the story doesn't come together. And I may have to wait to spoilers to talk about this more. Other than to say. This movie felt very authentic to me in the way it regarded the roles of family and how a family has to understand what is my role today, what is my role overall, what is my you know role in this moment, um, how can I better serve us as a team, you know, going through whatever we're going through. That through line was through the movie in that moment you're talking about. I do think was the. Um, kind of the completion of that through line for Violet, especially. Uh, And it was very meaningful to me just because my family always deals with that. You know, as a father of four, I've got four boys. We're always having to think of, okay, based on who you are and what you do, what does this mean for your role in the family? What does it mean that I'm now 
um, you know, self-employed and my wife is going off to work. You know, all those all those kind of things were very resonant for me because I live them. Mm. And that's kind of kind of and in in that way, movies are always very personal. Right. And so this movie, I think I connected more to that through line because of how personal it is and feel like it was more complete than maybe you do. Um, and that's, I think that's understandable. I think that's appropriate. I will, however, say the reason I only kind of disagree with you is because I do agree that there are several sub themes in subplots. I would say they're sub to the main theme, which is about family roles, but those subplots do not get resolved, um, at least completely or in as a fulfilling a way as you would want them to. So, um, so I do kind of see that angle on it. Does that yeah, make sense? I would agree that through line is there. That's kind of the issue I have is that the part where I think it's all supposed to gel is what I don't think is executed as well. Because I think you're right on it, like what the story is that Brad Bird's trying to tell. But the way it is now, it feels like a tree that is branching off in wildly different directions. And I just don't Mm -hmm. see it as one tree yet. Yeah, no, exactly. And I totally get that because you're right. There are a lot. I mean, you even mentioned the technology theme, Andrew, you know, the the idea of what screens mean and the masses being um, hypnotized by them or yeah. dumbified by them. You know, those things are all dealt dealt or touched on, but not dealt with. Uh, and- I, tr- I probably would be saying the opposite. If One thing, one thing we spent all of this time with dash having to learn math. I was waiting for dash to use math in the third <laughs> act, but like there's even a part where a character has to use like physics and um, something that is actually kind of similar to like what Dash is learning in order to pull off a specific stunt. And I was waiting for Dash to be like, hey, hey, hey. like for it to like be a comedic moment even where he's like imagining it like it's a beautiful mind. Because that, that would be a wonderful character arc for him because math doesn't come as quickly to him as usually like he's the quick. Usually he does things really right. fast, but he's slow with math, right? That would have been a really good payoff, and I think that would really tie into the through line of the movie as his role could be, um, you know, actually using gifts that aren't just the ones that he's natural with. Uh, but it's not there, which bums me out a little bit, just a little bit. I want to uh, just really quick. You got uh, one last thing? Yeah, one last thing. Going back to what we were saying about um, predictability, um, mm-hmm. a couple things I want to add on to that. Yes, I understand that sometimes it's it's an easy, you know, story arc to use you know the predictability and the gotcha or the quote-unquote gotcha moment you the know? twist yeah yeah but it's crazy because i keep forgetting this is a kids movie <laughs> yeah and that <laughs> you really can't do anything spectacular or bombastic because it's I still feel like this movie's for me because mm-hmm. the first one came out 14 years ago so whenever i was sitting next to a three-year-old next to me in the chair i'm like you don't know what this is do you shame on you for even showing up to the theater with your family no because can i can i use an anecdote then in terms of that because in my theater both theater experiences the people that i noticed like okay so the second time i saw it it was a packed audience and everyone sitting around me was like i loved this movie this is one of the best movies i've ever seen everyone was super excited a lot of them were like kids a lot of teenagers and then, like, as I was walking out the aisle, there was somebody sitting on the edge who was, like, probably my age. <laughs> and he was a little bit like, let me tell you why I didn't like that movie. And I was like, oh, man. Like, I think there is sort of that, like, it was for the people who were, you know, who watched it like we did when we were, you know, 
12, 13 or whatever when it first came out. And now we're starting to be, they can sign a, they can see the predictability in the Pixar scripts because they don't deviate that much from each other. Well, here's, here's how I make myself feel old and you feel young. Uh, John, I was your age when the first Incredibles came out. So uh, <laughs> no shame in that. That's how that goes. Uh, I was know, graduating high school. <laughs> my my one last thing I would say is that I was very the predictability part especially reminded me very much of my experience with Coco, where I felt I, I you know like I I knew where it was going, I knew where the twists were going to be, but it didn't bother mm-hmm. me, and I felt the same way here. And what I'm reminded of when you mentioned, and I bring this up because you mentioned kids, you know, watching it, is my kids thought that was the coolest twist ever in Coco mm-hmm. and they did not see it coming. And it, you know, and in fact, my, uh, my 12 year old came up to me after watching Coco for the first time. And he said, that is how you do a twist. <laughs> <It's> like, like, <laughs> and, like, and you're like, okay, yeah, you I've got some Hitchcock movies to show you, yeah. but we'll, we'll, we'll get through this. <laughs> yeah. But, show him arrival and let him know. <laughs> tell me what he thinks a twist is after yeah, that. Ooh, I, I called arrival in the first act though. So what How's that guy, I literally, I said it out loud to the people I was with, and they thought I was a savant. But I found it so obvious. But anyway. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, but all of that goes to show you you calling Arrival in the first act, me understanding where the, you know, the plot's going with Coco or The Incredibles 2, it doesn't make it a it doesn't make a bad storytelling. It just means well, our, exactly. our brain clicked in an interesting way where we saw the where, where they were going. And, you know, before they were ready for us to, that's fine. But, you know, it's still a yeah, story. It's the same reason. Like, you know that a movie, like, the good guys are going to win most times, right? But it doesn't bother you that you know that that's going to happen because the movie still finds a way to take predictable story beats and do them in unpredictable ways. Yeah. There were things that I didn't predict. Like, I didn't predict that there were going to be these set pieces happening as it all came together, right? Right. And that's why it still works. Yeah, exactly. But I think what I'm trying to say is that you can definitely, I don't think you can argue with the formulaic style Pixar has. Right. When it comes to story arcs yeah. like this. Like, you can have a twist. There's obviously going to be a twist. I'm just saying you can still make a twist for a movie like this that can shock all people. It's not one... This is a twist you can call the moment you are introduced to certain characters. <laughs> You're like, yeah, well, that's how it's going to go. Has really done an amazing twist? That's what I I'm mean, saying. Why, that's what I'm I saying. I don't think so. They need, they need to because I'm not saying that the, it's, a, it's really not a negative for this movie because nah. it's good, but if they would have t- done it in a different way, it could have tr- pushed this to being one of the best movies ever made. That's all I'm saying. I'm saying, yes, it works for me, but for me, if they would have reworked that third act, it could right. have pushed it to being one of the best movies for of all you. time. Right. For me. Yeah. And they're they're operating on more of a mass market idea of telling a great story. Simplicity. Yeah, simplicity. Yeah, exactly. So, hey, did you have one last thing, John, before we move on? Uh, I really love this film. We've said so much. One last thing I will say is that the use of Elastigirl in this movie, we kind of touched on it. I think was so inspired. Uh, yeah. yeah. Like the way she uses her stretching powers. And I love that they balance her like adventure escapades, which are these like bombastic action set pieces balancing out with a dad de- dealing with parenthood. And by the way, like a way that I thought that wasn't Mr. Mom to me, it was very modern the way that he's dealing with it. Like yeah. it wasn't, it didn't go for the easy jokes, but the, just that like juxtaposition of like, 
a superhero can be Elastigirl, you know, you know, saving a bunch of people's lives and fighting a bad guy. But, you know, a superhero can also be your dad, you know, staying up with the baby and helping and staying up all night to help you with your homework, like that kind of stuff. That was beautiful to me. Um, and I do think that a lot of that does get resolved, but uh, it just didn't go quite far enough for me the, in the way that I think it was uh, kind of selling itself as. It's a good place to move on to our best ever challenge. Uh, we're doing best ever Holly Hunter movies uh, in this one. Now, I will say in general, it has always been my perspective, and I don't know that I've ever communicated this fully, that the movie we're talking about isn't necessarily included in the best ever challenge. I didn't make that specific to either of you, I guess. Um, but, uh, but you know, just so you know, I probably would have Incredibles 2 on my list if I had thought that way. <laughs> I, I did. I'll just go ahead and say I did put it on mine. And that's fine. That's fine. Well, fortunately, like her filmography is so expansive. Yeah. You don't really need, you know, yeah. we're not hungry for good Holly Hunter movies. She's been in some great stuff. So let's talk about it. We'll work our way from number three to number one. Uh, John, as our guest, you get to go first. What's your number three Holly Hunter movie of all time? I'm oh, be honest, this is one of the hardest things that I've ever uh, done. Let, let you know another thing. Um, if we, if somebody on that's on this panel has a, the same movie higher, yeah, yeah. we'll trump it. Yeah. And we'll talk about it that's later. Right, that's right. Okay. We'll, yes, and I have a feeling this will be trumped uh, to a degree. I don't, I don't know. And uh, this was so difficult because can, can I just put like all of her movies in my little mention? <laughs> I can do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, feel free. Maybe not Manglehorn. Um, I, this this was really tough because she's been in a lot of great movies, and I was trying to like narrow it down to movies where she particularly shines um, above like the rest of the cast. So where I landed with this one was between two movies. For this first one, I am going to say The Piano. Uh, okay. This is her 1993 film. Do any of you have it on your list? This is my honorable, honorable mentions. mentions. Yep. Okay, perfect. I almost had it in my honorable mentions because this movie it doesn't age super well, um, especially in light of I believe it's a, a Miramax film. And rewatching it too, like I hadn't seen it in a long time, and rewatching it in light of like Harvey Weinstein was a bit of a challenge. Yeah. Um, because it it has so many like of these themes of like emotional manipulation um despite all of that my goodness is holly hunter put on just i think a groundbreaking performance uh so this movie came out in 93 she won the uh the best actress uh for uh or oscar at the academy awards that year she beat out like angela bassett and emma thompson and all of these amazing actresses and i i just think it's completely earned because she does a silent performance except for in like the very beginning and uh, little parts where you hear like her mind's voice, but she plays somebody who is mute. And you watch this character, it's a period piece set in New Zealand, which is a very interesting location. Uh, she's in this love triangle between two men who are trying to control her. Uh, I had a little debate with somebody the other day about what, because I've always considered the piano and the piano to be my favorite MacGuffin. And I had a little bit of an argument with people about whether or not it's actually MacGuffin. I don't know if you guys have opinions mm, on that. Interesting. But, uh, I, I do think it's the ultimate MacGuffin because it is something that everyone is trying to get a hold of in order to control this female protagonist. And she is trying to get it as well. And they're all trying to get it for different reasons. Um, even the young Anna Paquin character. And I just think it's such a, it's a wonderful story and it's very, it is very honest. I, I personally think it does kind of get a pass because of the time period it's set in. But it does have some very uh, weird character dynamics that uh, make it a challenging watch, but definitely uh, definitely one of Holly Hunter's best performances. So I had to put it on the list. Great uh, call. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Anna Paquin was the youngest person to ever win an Oscar because of that movie. 
Um, I think she was only nominated. Uh, I don't remember her winning. I'll have to check. But, I uh, think she won. Well, did she? I think she got nominated for Best Supporting Actress, and um, no, I just she looked won. at it. Yeah, and she, she won. did win. She won. Um, and Jane Campion actually won for Best Original Screenplay. Um, so th- that is another thing. Like, a woman did direct this film. So, like, that is another reason why I think that it kind of gets, like, a, it, it, is, it is from the perspective of female directors. So it, it, it's weird because it's, like, Harvey Keitel and Sam Neill do some really weird stuff in here. And that's all I'll say. Dr. Grant. Um, I'll go next. Uh, my number three will possibly be trumped. Uh, oh, brother, where art thou? Trump. All right, I figured that might happen. What's your number three, Andrew? Big Short. The Big Short. Yeah. She's in the Big Short. I, I, I mean, not the Big. You mean the Big Six? The Big, big Six. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, I had a brain fart moment there. Yeah, the Big Six. Yeah, absolutely. She was in the Big White as well. Yeah, she was in the Big White. <laughs> Man, she just she should have been in the big short thing. That way, she could have had the trifecta. Yeah, Tom Hanks big yeah, she, should have been yeah. in that. She's in a lot of big pictures. Um, but yeah, the big sick. Um, her performance in particular, I was surprised, of course, by Camille Nanjiani's amazing performance. But I think besides him, like the dynamic between him and Holly Hunter is so crazy. How the transition is so extreme between the two of them. Yet it's mm-hmm. so fluid that you can easily follow it. It's not like so, I guess I could say, jagged going from mm-hmm. hating to liking. That transition was so beautiful. And the fact that it's a true story just makes it that much more beautiful. Yeah, that, that heckler scene is yeah. so great and oh, such wow. a beautiful moment for the transition of a relationship. And, and it's just, it's that, that movie is, is a revelation. I, I just, I really enjoy that movie as well. It's yeah. a good choice. It was in my honorable mentions, just didn't quite make it onto the list. So it's it's on my honorable mentions too. It was fighting for that number three spot. Yeah, great choice. All right, let's go on to number two. What do you got, John? Number two. Uh, this was really tough, but I I actually went with broadcast news. Oh, good choice. Um, does anybody else have that one? I've got is, an honorable mention. Is that William Hurt? Is that the one I'm thinking of? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, it's one of my favorite performances from him because it's so he's such a bad good person in that um (laughs) broadcast news i this was the movie uh that really just it it really set me up as a film lover as a kid uh and as somebody who really loves journalism um it was this movie kind of influenced me to be really interested in the world of like actually doing news and reporting and things like that uh i could i consider it sort of like the (laughs) anti-nightcrawler that movie with uh jake gyllenhaal yeah yeah exactly but this this one it's not the best movie in the world. I, I, I think that people really loved it when it came out. I've never considered it that great of a movie. I think Albert Brooks has a really good role in this, too, as a supporting actor. And it, it is really sort of a fam- – it's almost like a family of news reporters. And they all sort of, like, emotionally rely on Holly Hunter's Jane. And part of the reason I love this movie is the way that she she commands this newsroom. It's one of the most enticing things to watch. You can really tell when you see the, the show Newsroom – uh, that ended on HBO. That it was, I think it was heavily influenced by the yeah. way that they did the real the energy of this movie. It, it really is just one of those like rainy Sunday afternoon, sit down and really just enjoy uh, Holly Hunter and the rest of this ensemble. Like her, Albert Brooks and William Hurt are a fantastic trifecta. And part of the reason it's number two, even though it's not the, it's not better than a lot of other movies that she's been in. I think it's one of the best showcases of what she can do because the range of emotion that she brings out in this movie is 
just enticing. And this, it, I, I will say it, um, and I, I hope most people will agree. I had the biggest crush on this character growing up. <laughs> I, I just think that she is so lovable uh, in in this role and a lot of her movies, obviously, but this one in particular. It's a great choice. Yeah. Uh, for me, yeah, this is where I had Incredibles too. So okay. we talked Ooh. enough about it. So <laughs> and that's it. Your number two. Yeah, my number two. Uh, my number. But two. not the first Incredibles. No, I like this more than the first Incredibles. Uh, wow. Okay. I have uh, always at my number two. Um, I this is a special one to me because it's kind of like my wife and I's movie. You know, like okay. when we were dating, it was you know came out around then, and you know really enjoyed it. Um, it is. One of the quote unquote lesser Spielbergs, uh, but he is an incredible storyteller, and I love this story. I love the beauty of the um, the way that you know she kind of has to get permission from you know like there's this interesting dynamic of relationship tension between losing you know somebody you care about and then the idea of permission to enjoy the world after that you know that that loss has hanging over you um in this movie realizes that in a very interesting way i don't think you um, ever said the title i think it's always right always yeah. right okay i didn't say always no you just started describing a movie we thought you were just like leading up to it. i was like wow this is the best like intro to always i've ever yeah heard. are you like this, this is so weird i'll have to go back in and listen but um uh, maybe but, we just missed it yeah i, I, I was like He's talking about always, I think. <laughs> well, he said you said Spielberg, so that's what I got. Yeah, that's yeah. that's how I got there. <laughs> well, guess what? It's always hey! is the name of my number two. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I'm with John. I thought you were just building up to it. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was, I was, and my number two is always. always. <laughs> oh, okay, always, always. It's just a little twist for you. Uh, no, I really enjoy it. I think it's phenomenal stuff. So yeah, it's amazing. Whenever you know a lesser known movie like Always, which I'm not going to lie, I haven't seen. Oh, it's so um, good. But you it know, whenever you can have emotional ties to a movie, like you say, it's you and your wife's movie. Yeah, how something like that can push a movie beyond what others critically can see it as. The chat is 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 backing me up. They all heard it. Okay. So <laughs> uh, okay, so our fault. We heard yeah. what we wanted to hear. That's yeah. right. You know what it could be? It's one of those words that you can think is part of a sentence. Yeah. Like I could have mm-hmm. just said my number two is always. Yeah. And I don't know. Anyways, I don't know. Always but, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's my number two. So ready to head on to our number ones? Yep. All right. What do you got, John? Mm-hmm. Um, I hope this is shared with you. Raising Arizona. No quite this was the easy one for me. Uh, this is one of my favorite movies. Uh, I think it's one of the best Coen Brothers film. And I think that Edwina, played by Holly Hunter here, is one of the coolest, most interesting characters I, I, we've seen in that era of filmmaking. I, it just... Uh, uh, anybody else have this one? I had it in my honorable mentions. I just love the others yeah. more for me, personally. Oh, man, that's I'm surprised a little bit. I've, I've always considered Raising Arizona to be just her performance. Because I do think it was... It wasn't her first Coen Brothers film. But I do think it was like the first film that kind of like shot her into the mainstream. I mean, it did yeah. come out like I think before broadcast news, but it was kind of part of the her her birth of uh, filmmaking. But anyway, Raising Arizona. If, if you've never seen it, uh, those of you listening, it, it's absolutely. I think it really holds up well. Every time I see it, I get something else out of it. Uh, this obviously has Nicolas Cage in it too, and John Goodman, and she plays this cop who wants a baby so badly. Uh, she marries a criminal, and then they try to like steal a kid together and even though she's a cop and like 
that sounds wacky. And that good is. old American story. Yeah, but Cohen Brothers Arizona. can make <laughs> Cohen Brothers can make wacky work. Oh yes, um, they, they've always made interesting films out of people who do bad things, and this was, I think, one of the early ones they did where you do get the humanity out of people who commit crime. And Holly Hunter, her, that distinctive voice of hers and the way that she glides through this movie so gracefully yet so bombastically. She has such a satisfying conclusion in this movie. I just, I love it so much uh, down to the score. There's a, there's a middle set piece with, that involves like a chase and a convenience store with a yodeling track that is like one of my favorite movie moments in history. Very nice. What do you got for number one? Oh, brother, where art thou? That's the one you trumped. Yep. Let's talk about it. What do you oh, love about it? Oh, man. Talk about an amazing soundtrack. The movie... The, oh, yeah. The, I'm not even going to talk about performances yet, but the fact that the soundtrack for this movie is so good and I listened to it on the way over here accidentally because I wasn't even thinking. It just, you know, kind of popped onto my iTunes and I was, I was like... Oh, yeah, I'm going to be talking about this movie later. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, okay, so now getting into the actual movie. Performances all around in this well, movie. Well, the soundtrack is part of the actual movie, and is part of what makes that movie amazing, too. I know. I just ha- I had to get that out of the way. Yeah, I- yeah, for sure. Um, every single performance in this movie is incredible. From George Clooney, Holly Hunter, John Goodman, down the line, it's amazing. And the fact that, talking about Coen Brothers again, we yeah. have... Um, them taking this bombastic story of the Odyssey and putting it in the Great Depression is one of the <laughs> coolest, you know, twist of a storytelling I can honestly think of. It's yeah. so funny, it's so heartwarming, and I forget the guy his name who plays the devil in this movie, but uh, he was also in Super Troopers, and uh, ah, I, I just I just remember his voice being so haunting. You know, wait, the guy who sold his soul to the devil? Or? No, no, the guy the who who plays quote unquote quote unquote the devil slash the the lawman chasing them. Oh, I think that's Daniel von something. Yeah, Daniel von Plainview, right? the sheriff. Yeah, the sheriff. You know, he's he's yeah. metaphorically the devil in right. that movie, but uh, or Hades, whatever you want to call him. But yeah, hmm. ah, good choice. So good. Yeah, I love one that of movie. my favorite movies of all time. Me as well. So, yeah. It's one of those few movies where George Clooney stars and it actually made money. No <laughs> <laughs> saying. Uh, he has a price tag. <laughs> just so we all have different Coen Brothers movies at the top, I'm going with Blood Simple. There you um, go. Uh, actually, wow. I'm not. I, actually, I'm not. Oh. Uh, but I, I just, say I just thought surprised. that would be funny. Uh, she actually is in that, though, apparently, as an uncredited voice, so I thought that was funny. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I'm going with The Incredibles. Uh, it is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, I still have it above Incredibles two, just barely. Um, so, yeah, it's it's you know it's a lot of perfection for me. So, I have it at number one. So, does that mean that you have two movies from twenty eighteen that cracked your top one hundred movies believe, of all time? I believe so. I believe both uh, Incredibles two and um, Infinity War will be in my top one hundred of, of all time. That's crazy. Incredible. Yeah, it's a, it's a good year for movies. Yeah, I, and I I am always willing to admit recency bias too. Like I I I am always open to the fact that you know stuff that I've seen more recently. I just I I don't I, don't, I love loving things, you know. And so when I when I love something, it it just it kind of but sometimes goes to the top. but sometimes you just know, you know. You, yeah, you can say 
I know there's no recency well, and bias. Well, I wouldn't in have this. said that about Infinity War until I saw it the second time. I really? didn't realize how deep that movie was until I saw it the second time. I, you know, I I had a lot of fun with it, but I didn't realize. Yeah how deep the themes in that movie about the value of life were. And it's just, yeah. So that, that's what really raised it up for me. But, but you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you'll see a movie like for me, uh, the first time I saw whiplash, um, I was like, this is going to be in my top 10 movies of all time. (laughs) It is so good. And when I saw, uh, Incredibles two, I'm like, this is one of the best Pixar movies I've ever seen. No recency bias on this. The themes, the action, the comedy, this is one of the best animated films I've ever seen. Yeah, it's great. Sounds more like that with uh, Inside Out, personally. But because uh, when I saw Coco and Incredibles two, I was like, "This is one of the better Pixar films." But Inside Out was the first one I had seen in a long time. I was like, "This is like the, up there with like the best Pixar films, like Incredibles, Finding Nemo." I still feel that way about Inside Out. Um, Inside Out is actually, I think, I actually have Inside Out uh, at number two of my Pixar rankings. So yeah, finding Nemo wow. inside out incredibles, toy story, incredibles two is where I have it right now. So I think, uh, I think it's finding Nemo, Wally, incredibles two, and then toy story. Okay. For me. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I'm guessing you all had Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, in your honorable mention. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, no, but I did have great, one. Great use PhD. I do. I bet I have one that neither of you have, though. Was uh, oh. uh, We'll start there. Copycat. Either of you have Copycat? Never seen it. Uh, no. I listen. I. It's just. It's all Harry Connick Jr. That's all I'm saying. It's all about Harry Connick Jr. Uh, it's a That's fun a good movie. score. It's interesting it because. All of your guys, uh, like your top ones that I didn't have, were my honorable mentions. So, so I really don't I have don't any, have any honorable mentions left. Oh, wow. <laughs> like yeah, you stole raising Arizona and broadcast news. I will. Uh, it is interesting. We all sorry. had different lists. I the only other one I would mention is the firm. I think that's worth mentioning. Oh, that's the, the Tom Cruise too, yeah. movie. How did I forget she yeah. was in that? Yeah. So I would put the firm in there. What else did you have, John? Um, I had a lot. I did have the Incredibles too. Um, there are a lot of her movies that I haven't seen, but, uh, I have a brother where out there, of course. And, um, I have nine lives, big sick, obviously. And, you know, I, I will admit the first time I saw Manglehorn, I was kind of into it. doesn't really hold up. Uh, but I, I kind of have a soft spot for David Gordon Green. Um, I kind of like his style, but, uh, yeah, I, I, not far enough where I'd put in my honorable mentions. I think the last one I'd say is I, I really love her performance in Thirteen. Never saw thirteen. It just seemed like a weird movie that I don't know. Which one? Which I, one is thirteen again? I can't remember. With the adolescent that's, girls that who, actually has Evan Rachel Wood from Westworld in it. Yeah, um, she played when she was a kid. Like, so she's a kid. She just turned like thirteen, and she gets into some like really bad stuff. And it's kind of a, a movie about parenthood and uh, Holly Hunter plays her mom. Oh, interesting. And, I don't yeah. think I've seen yeah, it either. It's a really good performance. I'll have to check that out. I don't think I've seen that one either. Yeah, it's about yeah. you know teenagers getting into drugs and sex and stuff like that so yeah because her mother's teenagers alcoholic <laughs> yeah so it was hereditary before hereditary <laughs> <laughs> i still haven't seen hereditary i chose to see tag yesterday instead of hereditary so Good call. I've, I've i've officially decided i hate hereditary have I, you i yeah besides uh tone or yeah her performance because you weren't sure last week when you mentioned it yeah i think i've finally concluded i hate that movie now okay yeah well it's all it's always good to find find hate in your life yep it's always a <laughs> thanks hereditary <laughs> not all of us can just love you love. <laughs> are officially the cure for wellness of 2018 for me nice good call 
before we I'm move on before we move on to the uh the sif quest uh, just a reminder that this is a fan-funded podcast network studio dna podcast network is supported at patreon.com slash studio dna starts at three bucks a month comes with some pretty fun perks including right at the three dollar a month mark uh, you get access to your own podcast feed where you get all the bonus episodes. Uh, for instance, this episode, John did an incredible sh- uh, sift shame where we found out the movies that he has not seen. Mind-blowing stuff. So you can check that out uh, if you support 3 bucks a month. Um, you can also listen to that stuff live if you happen to join us live uh, on the weekend. Uh, and that is all at patreon.com slash studio DNA. And a huge thank you from us to you for finding value in what we do. All right, let's move on to the Sift Quest. This week it's from Gideon on Twitter who says, Which of the 16 personalities are you, and what is a movie character that is the same type as you that you think has a similar personality to you? For example, I am INTP, and a great movie example of INTP is Neo from The Matrix. Uh, This is a fascinating question. Personality stuff always intrigues me. Uh, if you are familiar with the 16 personalities, um, which is also called Myers-Briggs, right? I feel like that's what I've always heard. I've never heard of this yes. before. I, yeah, I've always heard it called Myers-Briggs. Um, so you can go to 16personalities.com. They'll give you a free personality test with a lot of information. And basically, it breaks down personalities into four categories and decides which side of those categories you're on. So, for instance, the first letter is usually or is either I or E for introvert or extrovert. Uh, and then it kind of goes down from there without getting into all the crazy specific details of Myers-Briggs. Uh, we can kind of just give our own personality types and uh, kind of those movie characters that we feel like go along with that and then talk about kind of what those personalities uh, look like. I thought that'd be the easiest way to do it. Um, why don't you go first, John? Why don't you start us off? Splendid. This is a really cool question. Um, I, lo- I loved getting into this. I'm not a big fan of Myers-Briggs. Um, I am a true believer of the Enneagram, which is right. like a nine-point thing. Um, but, you know, I, I still know my, my Myers-Briggs. Um, and I am the advocate, which is uh, INFJ. And this is the quiet and mystical, yet very inspiring and tireless idealist, which, no pressure, right? <laughs> right. Um, so a good example of this one, uh, in terms of fiction would be, I think one of the first results was uh, Jon Snow from Mm -hmm. Game of Thrones, also Aragorn from The Lord of the Rings. But I I was kind of thinking of it, and I was trying to think of, like, bringing it back to Pixar. If you were going to take any Pixar movie, I think the most popular INFJ would probably be Violet from The Incredibles movies. She's very much that kind of character. And uh, it was cool, because when I was thinking about this, I was like, oh, that kind of makes me like the, the arc that Violet has in the second movie all the more interesting because uh, yeah, it's just another interesting way to look at that character. Nice. Um, I'll go next and kind of piggyback off you. I'm also INFJ. Uh, or, is, I look, I could take the test tomorrow and be INTJ. My thinking feeling is, like, right down the middle. Um, and the difference, mm-hmm. I think, on that basically is the idea of somebody who is more feeling is, I mean, I think you can figure it out by the words themselves, but somebody who is more feeling is is more about, you know, empathy and connecting with someone and those kind of things, where somebody who's thinker is about planning and organization, those kind of things, strategy. Um, and one day I'll lean INTJ, one day I'll lean INFJ. Um, and what what it, it's interesting to me, I kind of feel like my personality is the difference between Iron Man and Captain America. Like one day I'm Iron Man, one day I'm Captain America. 
I feel like Iron Man is more of kind of an uh, an INTJ and Captain America is more an INFJ. And mm. so it's kind of like I alternate between those. The, the, the thing that is kind of consistent among them is kind of um, being willing to instruct, those kind of things. Like you mentioned the advocate is the, like, quote-unquote, the other name for an INFJ. I think the other name for INTJ is oh, architect? architect. Yeah, the architect. Yeah. Um, and so I thought... After that, I thought maybe Gandalf would be a great example of somebody who I really identify personality-wise with, because I feel like he is also right down the middle with feeling and thinking, um, yeah. and also has a lot of those different characters of the, you know, the other, the introverted, and um, and the other distinctions as well. So Gandalf would probably be my answer. If we have to move into the Pixar universe, um, I've heard Edna Mode is an INTJ, so maybe, <laughs> I got, maybe I'd be a little bit Edna. What about you, uh, Andrew? I was, and this is all brand new to you, so... Yeah, I'm something called an INFP-T. <laughs> what? Well, well the, a, dash, the dash is a new thing. The dash is basically... Uh, T means turbulent and A means, like, aggressive oh. or whatever. And I, and I always end up... Like, my test always ends up coming, like, 94% yeah, aggressive. Yeah, it says I was 90% turbulent, whatever that means. Yeah. Um... But it says I was a mediator, mm-hmm. um, and some characters that fell into that category were Luke Skywalker, nice Carl Fredrickson from Up. <laughs> There's your Pixar, and uh, Kermit the Frog. Nice. How do you wow. feel about? It? Do you feel like you? Oh, pers- and Frodo. Do you feel like your personality? Which of those do you feel like your personality matches most with? Just thinking about it, like outside of the test, Carl. You think so? Yeah. Why would you connect with Carl? I don't know. He's he's emotional and he tries to, you know, cover it up, you know, under, you know, just grumpiness. <laughs> what happened to your wife, Andrew? A lot, man. <laughs> I don't like balloons. I don't believe in love anymore. That's interesting. We're both in the diplomats section. Yeah. Whereas uh, it looks like Aaron is the uh, an analyst. Boring. So apparently, so according, so from what I gather, because I have no idea what any of this is, apparently there's only 19 personality types. Yeah, 16. 16? Okay. So that's interesting. Yeah. So I'm, yeah, there's only 16 kinds of people. You have to fall in one group. That's the way it works. There's no uniqueness. (laughs) There's no overlap, obviously. Nope. No uniqueness anymore. But it's an interesting exercise, right? To kind of think of it that way. And, uh, you know, when I took it outside of the test and just started thinking of like movie characters that I actually personally feel like have my kind of personality, it did kind of match up. You know, it kind of works. So, so whenever I was doing this, uh, I was filling out all these answers. It kind of felt like I was taking one of those horoscope tests, like which of the uh, uh, celestial bodies are you sort of thing. <laughs> It's a little more scientific than that. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I was about to say. Because you can read... what website you were using. Because when you read the other person, at least for me, I'll read the other personalities, and I'll find a thing here or there, but I'll be like, no, that's not me. I didn't read the other personalities. Yeah, so, but when I read the ones that the test comes out as, I'm like, oh yeah, that's me. You know, so there there is a little bit different. Okay, because whenever you know you read those, like, uh, are you a Virgo? And then Uh they read off, like, these are all pretty... Basic, <laughs> right? Like you could go through yeah. every one and be like, "Yeah, that's me." Yeah, yeah, that's me. So I didn't know if it was kind of like that. No, so. I think it's a little more scientific because I, I only read, you know, the mediator one, which is what I got. So I'm nice. Like, yeah, I guess it's me, but maybe these are just basic things everybody can say yes to. Well, there you go, Gideon. Thank you for the question. That is a very fun question. If you have a sift quest you want to send us on, feel free to hit us up uh, via email and uh, Twitter. So Twitter is uh, at 
Aaron Dicer or at Flick Freaks. And the email is feedback at sifpop.com. Uh, we can do either way. All right, before we finish out, let's do some buried treasure. What's that one thing in any area of pop culture that you want to make sure people know about? Um, I'll go first. Uh, I just saw First Reformed, finally. and Ooh, love that movie. Man, is it good. Uh, it is the best Ethan Hawke performance ever. Wait, what, um, what's this? It's called First Reformed. First, I never heard That's of it. That's probably true. That's Wait. a Paul Schrader movie. Yeah, it's, it's best Ethan Hawke better than Gattaca? Yes. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, and I love Gattaca. You know I love Gattaca. Yeah, I do too now. Um, better than the before movies? This, this I is think so. One. I think so, yeah. Um, it, I think it's his best performance ever. Uh, it is powerful. It's about faith and doubt and... Um, Oh, this is the new movie that just came out, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Okay, yeah, what's, just, it, what's it called again? First Reformed. First Reformed, yeah, yeah. I've been seeing, I think, like... I think it's A24, right? Yeah, it's a, it's an A24 film. Oh, I'm sold. There we go. Um, so I would highly recommend check it out. Uh, it's very powerful, very disturbing in many ways. I shouldn't say very disturbing, but mm. disturbing in many ways and hard to grapple with. Uh, it has uh, an ending that I will be processing for a long time. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah one of those, those endings where, like, you know whether or not you like the movie based on your reaction to that. Right, absolutely. So it is a movie I cannot wait to talk to others about um, that have seen it and kind of process through it together. Um, but it is phenomenal performances, incredible story. Uh, it's just, it is a very compelling watch. So that would be my buried treasure. Uh, I still can't believe that the guy who wrote Raging Bull and Taxi Driver directed this movie and that we get to see it. That just blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. Especially considering the rest of his films. John, what do you got for your buried treasure? Well, I have uh, been reading this book. Um, It is called Killer Joy. The author is John Agroni. I'm joking. That's my book. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, That actually is like a real book. It's like a novel I wrote last year. Uh, My actual buried treasure is I don't know how much you guys like uh, anime at all. A- anime is something that I really I, I get into, but it's not something I usually talk about. Um, so if I'm talking about an anime, I don't just like it. I don't just like watch it here and there. I actually am like, this needs to be seen by as many people as possible. I'm the same And way. that is, yeah, My Hero Academia, which mm. isn't super new. I think it premiered either a year or two years ago. I think it was like 2016, the first season came out. But My Hero Academia is one of the coolest premises of a story that we've gotten, I think, in a long time. It takes place in the future, but, like, technology is basically the same. And all of a sudden, people started getting, like, superpowers. It's that kind of thing. Um, and over, like, a, over like 100 years or something like that, every almost 80% of the entire world everybody has some kind of power and it can be like a small thing. Like your fingers can get really long and that's it. Um, and then other people, it, uh, you know, some people like when they sweat, their sweat can become explosions and they can control that or whatever. So like over all of this time, it's not like an X-Men thing where there's like, Oh no, right. Uh, instead there's like an infrastructure to like handle this. You have like su- being a superhero is like a day, day job. Basically people go to school to become superheroes and there are very strict rules like you actually like if you're a kid you can't just be a vigilante like you could have your you know powers revoked or whatever and you have the main character he he grew up watching his idol on tv and it's like i want to be a superhero so bad usually figure out what your your quirk is what they call them 
you figure out what your quirk is around the age of like four or five. And this guy is one of the only individuals in the world who has no quirk. And the sh- that's where the show begins. And the show is about how he becomes the best superhero in the world. It is one of the coolest stories, one of the best casts of characters. I 100% recommend it. It's on Crunchyroll, and it, it'll make you laugh. It'll make, it is thrilling. It is emotional. And it really is, like, it breaks the mold, I think, on most modern animes today. Nice. When I think of anime, I think of, like, like slow and, like, you know, like, gosh, just a lot of talking sometimes. This, it, the pacing is rip fast. Awesome things are happening constantly. It's Harry Potter for superheroes. Go check it out. That sounds great. Andrew, what do you got? So uh, enough people have recommended this show to me. I finally just broke down and saw it on Netflix. I'm like, fine, I'm going to watch it. Uh, New Girl. Yeah. I'm surprised how funny that show is. Oh, it's so good. It's it's a really funny show. I thought that that cast of characters was going to get annoying. And by episode three, I'm like, I love these people. Yeah. I want want to move into that apartment. It looks, (laughs) it's so fun. But uh, yeah, uh, I'm in, I'm halfway through season two right now and... I can't get enough. It's so good. It is great. I, for, I forget that's when... That's one of those shows that gets better as it goes. Oh, good. That's yeah, good it, really, it really does. I remember we watched the pilot, and I think actually one of the Wayan brothers plays coach in the pilot, right? Yeah, well, yeah. I guess he was in a show that was supposed Happy to be canceled. Happy yeah. Endings. That was supposed to be canceled, but then it got renewed, so then they had to replace him with somebody else. Well, and he comes back later. Oh, like, okay. He's, he's actually yeah. continues to be a part of the cast later, but um, occasionally... But I, I remember when my wife and I watched the pilot, we loved it so much. And then when we found out that they were replacing Coach with Winston, you know, for the rest of the season or whatever, yeah. we did that normal fan thing, which was like, come on, we loved Coach, you know, and we yeah. didn't, and it took us a few episodes to actually give Winston a fair shake. He's my favorite character now. He's so funny. He's, he's so great. I don't know. Schmidt so far is hilarious. Oh, he's great too. Yeah. I, I just I, I became a Winston person very quickly. I and love them all. I really do. I love all of them. <laughs> and I and I love seeing Winston in Game Night. You know. Um, yeah. And it's just been it's been great to see all these guys do other things. So um, he was so I just funny saw the in series Game finale, Night. and it, it was really rough to see those characters go, but they do it really well. Yeah, yeah. The series finale is good. So I can't wait to just watch all of it. No, that's yeah. Watch it all. That's a that's a great choice. Well, there you go, guys. We did it. We Heads podcasted. Up. Congratulations. Woo! <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us today for Sif Pop. It is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about other live and later shows on the network by following us at Spreaker, either in the Spreaker app or at Spreaker.com slash Studio DNA. Huge thanks again to today's guru, John Negroni. Woo! Well thanks done, sir. Well done. Where can people find John Line? Where do you want to send him to? Easiest way to figure out what I'm doing at any given moment is find me on Twitter at John Negroni, and uh, you can find the Cinema Hogs podcast that I do on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Wherever fine podcasts are sold or given away. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Much love and gratitude to our Patreon supporters for giving monthly to make this show and others on the network possible. Support starts at $3 a month, comes with some pretty fun perks. You can find out more information on that at patreon.com slash studio DNA. There's a lot of ways to connect with the podcast. Feel free to leave a comment at Spreaker or at Apple Podcasts, or you can email us feedback at sifpop.com. And finally, if you're having a good time, your movie-loving friends will probably like it too, so let them know about it, and that listening is much easier than uncrushing something. Spoiler chat for Incredibles 2 should be next up in your podcast feed, and we'll be back next week to talk about Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom.
This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.